I am slowly coming back. I am. There I am. There he is. Oh, yeah. Good. Whew. All this tech stress. Um, how's it going, Chris? It's going well. How are you? Good. Good. Well, it's our Monday morning, and uh, there's no better way to start that by just getting complicated with Klein and uh, just thinking about stuff that is just intense and awesome and crazy and enough to just get you get you um, uh, ready for us, especially, I mean, okay, for me, you know, for preaching and uh, just reading Klein on a Monday, it's magic. It's kind of like, it just gets you focused. <laughs> it gets you where you should be. It gets you thinking about Christ. It gets you thinking uh, along those lines. Uh, uh, it just enriches preaching and especially the case, um, I don't know if this is going to come out um, before or after I preach it, probably after, but I'm going to preach on Ezekiel. And um, Ezekiel's got kind of this uh, intersection with Kleinian thought, big time. Um, and that happens along the lines of the, uh, well, I suppose all his books kind of cover it, but I would say Images of the Spirit and um, Glory in Our Midst uh, are, are the two big ones here um, to think about um, uh, Klein's understanding. I suppose it even goes into just like really the sabbath at the end of the day and indoxation i was going to say and all those things we spoke about with the imago day last time um so it's um i thought you know while while it's kind of somewhat in 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 my wheelhouse anyway and uh, i i just i thought i'd spring it on on chris's head for uh, just completely <laughs> cold haven't he hasn't prepped at all uh that's like how we like to roll for this um but just a, a just a friendly general discussion um on on just some of Kleinian thoughts or some of Klein's thoughts, some Kleinian thinking on on uh, some uh, prophetic material that is, you know, perhaps dismissed as a kind of, I don't know, just just a weird section of scripture or something the dispensationalists love to get hold of and then no, no one else touches it or, you know, maybe it's just been over symbolized it to, to mean things that are very generic and it's almost like, well, what's the point of even having the vision? Um, and, and then you come, and, and this is where I see client really just uh, doing his thing and that he comes and grabs hold of the details of the passage big time. Um, uh, it, and I'm thinking now of Ezekiel and the opening vision, um, but then strings it together as he does with all of those other things that are going on, um, you know, at various points, um, Isaiah's vision, um, Zachariah's vision, um, just eschatology in general. And, and as we know, eschatology is not something that happens at the end of the Bible. It's something that's woven in from the beginning. So you can see how it just gets crazy very quickly. So, that's right. um, you know, it's a very rich subject. And I, I thought what I would do is just see how much of this I could incorporate into a sermon that I was going to do in terms of an overview of the book. I think probably I've bailed on, on, on making, cause there's a lot of other stuff in the book also. Uh, and it's a bit of a difficulty when, um, when trying to give an overview to, to figure out where to major on. But I think um, uh, I certainly want to just use the opportunity to talk on this podcast just a little bit about it, just, just if someone's interested even, just to know where to go and what he's kind of saying just to get you started. And um, and so I've just strung a, a whole bunch of um, quotes here together that I quickly um, got on Lagos. And uh, I don't know, we could use use that to kind of string our, our way through. Um, but when I say to you, Chris, when I say, um, first vision of Ezekiel. Uh, what do you think? You know, the opening vision with the chariots and all that. What 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 do you think in light of, in light of uh, Klein's kind of understanding? I suppose 
What, what was Ezekiel seeing in general? I'm thinking rather than the, the nitty gritty particulars. See, I, I told you I was going to be embarrassed. Um, it's, <laughs> so what you, you I don't even to know prep before this, um, I need right. to go back and reread that first vision so, before I answer that. So what I'm thinking of is, you know, that crazy vision though, right? Everyone knows the crazy vision, Chris, you know, the crazy vision too. The one with yeah, the four faces and the, and the thrones and the wheels. Yeah. Okay. I mean, come on. It's like, when did you, did you come to Jesus yesterday? <laughs> I love you too, brother. Um, I mean, do you want me to read it to you? It's just like, it's, it's too. And talk about what Klein's saying about it. <laughs> um, are you going there? Yeah. All right. So it's like Ezekiel 120, somewhere around there. I think it's actually from chapter or from the very first verse. Okay. You know, the crazy vision. Yeah. It's the crazy vision. It's the crazy it vision crazy that no vision. one knows what to do with. Yeah. Um, so knee jerk stuff. I mean, we won't hold you to it. But what do you think? I mean, what is Klein basically talking about? You know, and I've got, I've pulled up a whole lot of images of the spirit here. You know, he's got the storm, uh, the, at least the um, the chariot theophany and the, you know, the, the, the throne, the moving throne and the, what's going on? I, I mean, like you said, knee jerk, the first place I want to go is, um, Klein says that the prophets were uniquely officers who he caught up into his heavenly council. And so they were, uh, they had access to uh, visions and things that um, they just did the best they could to use, you know, the Hebrew language to describe. Mm -hmm. um, this is really where Klein talks about prophetic idiom where, mm. you know, they're, they're just grabbing at things in their Israelite experience to try to relate to what they saw. Um, but yeah, uh, and it seems like this would be a good place for that just because, I mean, how do you describe what he saw? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it comes through in his language. He's like, it was as this, it was as something like this. And I, I suppose one of the things the, um, well, let me um, go ahead and read this one quote, this opening one, because this might be helpful in just kind of steering us here. Um, Ezekiel's accounts of his ecstatic, and by the way, sorry, this is, uh, if you did want to follow with us, uh, this is on page 100 of Images of the Spirit. Um, Ezekiel's account of his ecstatic visionary experiences provide the most elaborate biblical treatment of the glory theophany. As perceived by the prophet, it was a cherubim-propelled chariot with the glory figure enthroned above a firmament above the cherubim. Such was the hidden reality that was disclosed to him from within what he first caught sight of as a great cloud coming out of the north, driven by the storm wind and bright with an inner flashing fire. Impressed by the sound as well as the sight of the phenomenon, Ezekiel reports, When they, that's the cherubim, went, I heard the coal of their wings, like the coal of many waters, like the coal of the Almighty, the coal of the tumult, like the coal of an army. And they came a coal from the firmament above their heads. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard the call of one speaking. That's Ezekiel 124, and then later 25 and 28. 
when describing further appearances of the glory to him, uh, Ezekiel continues to mention the impressive sound that accompanied it, attributing the sound again to the moving of the wings of the cherubim and the turning of the wheels. Um, he compares it to the noise of an earthquake and once more to the voice of the Almighty when he speaks and to the sound of many waters. A particular interest for, Eze- uh, sorry, for Genesis 3 verse 8 uh, is the theophany episode recorded in Ezekiel 9 to 11 for it's strongly evocative of the Genesis 3 event. Here again, the glory moves in judgment against those who have defiled God's sanctuary and the offenders are driven out. While the cherubim guardians are positioned on the east of the holy city and undergoes. But I mean, I think that's enough to get us started. So already, see what he's done there. He's like connected it to what's happened with the end of the world stuff in Genesis 3. Right. Um, you know, you've got, okay, here's my take. All right. You tell me if this is sounding good. Or, okay. You know, get, get ready. Get ready to spring on me if it's sounding bad. <laughs> Um, but I think basically, you know, as you mentioned, you've got these um, prophets that are caught into something. They're caught into this reality. So it sounds like what, what's happening here is that, you know, you've going back to indoxation and right in the beginning and the, the temple and uh, the Eden sanctuary and just all of that stuff where God, you know, the glory cloud, essentially, the glory cloud That's is, it. is right there, um, you know, being manifest in a certain way. And um, revealing the environment of, of heaven, so to speak, and, and in heaven is the throne room of God. So it sounds like w- what is happening, just to put it as simply as I can, is that Klein is saying Ezekiel has opened up this book by seeing that very glory cloud. And he's seeing in, a prof- in prophetic idiomatic language the throne of Christ um, who was seated on the throne, pre-incarnate Christ, uh, in you know, in this in this glory theophany, uh, which is where Christ eventually ascends, and you know, there, there's something there. Now, in terms of um, you know the details of that, exactly, you know, why is it why are there the wings there and why are there the, the chariots and all that? I mean, my my thoughts are that perhaps that's where the idiom comes in. In that you know you've got the chariots, the war elements, uh, the the wheels of the the, the movements around uh, their ability for for God to be everywhere, and you've got almost like an omnipresence thing going on, um, and 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 that that works in light of you know what he's prophesying about. In that you basically have um, this judgment that's that has well at that point is about to uh, fall upon. Uh, Jerusalem through the Babylonians. So, you know, how do, is that sitting right with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's as you were reading that quote, that's what came to mind is the glory cloud. Right, right. Which is awesome. I mean, so, you know, now, now, because what it usually is when people talk about the Ezekiel vision, I mean, they usually, they're not really thinking about. Um, a concept that's woven into the fabric of the scriptures, you know, the story of the scriptures, essentially. Um, at best, I think it's just, wow, look, he's seeing a vision of God and his glory. And uh, maybe people would say, well, a glory, the glory of Christ in some foreshadowed way or pre-incarnate way. Um, uh, so they're connecting it to Christ. But um, but not quite in the way that that you know you, you would see Klein do. Um, they're not so much connecting it to the Sabbath. That's the thing, and and to the the place in which Christ eventually entered, and and you know from whence he came, and, and you know what I mean. There's it's almost like such a a bigger environment that's being worked with there as as um, as uh, uh, Klein develops Ezekiel's thinking. 
I think that's a great point. And it makes me think of um, Luther talking about um, the enthusiasts thinking that they can sneak up into heaven to, to get a sneak peek yes. at God and saying that's offsides. We don't do, I mean, here God, God has brought Ezekiel into this. So it's not like Ezekiel's trying to do this himself. Yeah. But the point I think ultimately is that when God is ready, he reveals Christ to us. He sends his son to become incarnate as, um, you know, the word become flesh. But Ezekiel has a special moment to take a, a peek at this and then try his best to describe it to us. Like you said, but yeah. this isn't ours to go looking for the pre-incarnate Christ. <laughs> totally. And well, I mean, on that point, it, it's just, it is quite amazing how, I mean, let me try something ambitious. Let me just quickly work through the whole thing uh, just, okay. just from beginning to end. As, and again, feel free to, to, to stop me or, or correct me. But, um, you know, again, if you, if you think about this, this, this uh, presence of this theophany, this glory cloud beginning of the story as, held up as the goal of creation. Uh, it's the seventh day. It's the thing. It's the, you know the it's the veil that will eventually get removed to show the glory covering all of the earth. It's the you know it's that right up front um, goal of of, of scripture. Uh, the thing that Adam failed to get via his own works, and uh, you know as we know was 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 exiled from the garden and and uh, was not allowed. It would, any attempt, as you just said, to get in there um, and see God at that point would be a fiery judgment by the, by the angelic sword, you know? Right. And um, and so you have something very similar in that you know, there's judgment, there is, there's all these connotations. Uh, certainly by the time you get to Sinai, um, you know, you see something similar again where God's presence, not on Mount Eden, but now on Mount Sinai and uh, the flaming sword judgment, you know, no one wants it. No one can look at it. Uh, you have a mediator. But here's where it gets interesting for me, because you got Moses standing in as a kind of mediator at that point, going up the mountain on behalf of the people, um, almost you know, has reference to kind of a sense of the hill as a achieving of what Adam failed to do. Uh, he brings... He also brings God down in that he brings these, you know, instructions for a tabernacle and, and then God comes down into the temple in this glory theophany. And, right. but, but they're able to ex, uh, ent enter and, and, and uh, at least um, have some sense of connectedness to that presence of God through blood sacrifice. So there's mm. the way has been made open to Eden again, the, the imagery of the tabernacle and, and, the, and, and uh, the, t the temple, of course, later on. So you've got, you've got this really... You know, I, I love the way that, you know, that just aside from Ezekiel connects, you know, and that's kind of um, uh, hopefully we've covered that at some level or another um, in previous episodes. But but then where it gets amazing for me is that, you know, the whole thing for Ezekiel is that the glory is like departing from the temple. And um, so it opens up with this very thing that God has essentially, you know, um, made made possible for man to have access to in the temple, which is nothing other than the very glory theophany from the beginning, the goal of history. So it's just a wonderful connecting point there. Um, it's not a different thing. It's not a sort of a lesser idea. It's the very glory theophany the, that is the goal of history. And, um, and then of course we know that, you know, the glory departs and, um, and, and the judgment comes, but then, you know, to, to pick it up where you where you ended off there, I mean, the whole thing is that the temple will be rebuilt and the glory will enter in again. And um, 
and rather than this being the giant dispensational temple uh, at the end, it's going to, you know, as we know, Christ very much understood it to refer to himself. He was the temple, um, and from him the living streams would flow, and, um, you know, just on we could go about Christ's own understanding, uh, not only as the temple, but as the mountain, as the one who reveals the glory, the one who's transfigured, or just, you know, it just keeps going. Um, and, and so it's just... Uh, you know, again, like, and then Christ basically enters in when he ascends, he enters into this glory theophany and he'll return again from this glory theophany um, to, to, to have it cover all of the earth where the veil is removed. And then there'll be no temple because the lamb will be the temple and we'll all see the glory. So it's just like, wow, it's totally, you know, it just ta- takes what kind of hopefully people have already known at some degree or another or to some degree or another in that, you know, Hopefully, you know, once you get out of dispensationalism and you see it's one story, uh, you start seeing it's all about Jesus and then you start seeing, okay, the temple has everything to do with it. But what I like about this is it takes these abstract, weird kind of very, like what on earth is Ezekiel talking about? And it puts it into the mainstream of the fabric of that story. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a arbitrary extra. It's kind of the thing, you know, it's heaven mm-hmm. itself, which is what he's seeing. And it, as a Christian, it makes me want to read about these prophecies. Whereas before, I got to be honest, I'd be like, uh, I don't know, I'll just give that one a skip, you know, it's just too, too much, <laughs> too much code going on there, you know. And, um, and, and likewise for, for Revelation and whatnot, I mean, once you get in, once you understand what's going on there, it just opens it up to you. But especially in the Old Testament, these prophetic texts, it's not like they're getting, getting caught up to some different reality that's utterly irrelevant, even if it was an amazing experience for them to give us symbols that we could never crack anyway. It, it, rather, what what they're seeing is our heaven and our Jesus and our throne, at least our Christ's yes. throne, and that which we will all experience, which is um, amazing. All right. As long as we approach that um, from the lens of the New Testament and yeah. all, everything that Jesus himself tells us, uh, I think especially of the book of Hebrews, um, you know, then we can really come to yeah. what Ezekiel is talking about with um, the right perspective. Totally. I mean, and yeah, I mean, like even just the fact that the way, I mean, I love the way that, um, you know, Hebrews... Well, there's almost so much to say. It's like, where do we even start? But but basically, <laughs> basically the whole Sabbath, I love the way Klein connects the Sabbath to the actual, like, theophany itself, you know? Yes. Uh, which were unrelated concepts before for me. Um, you know, the the we get to heaven and that's kind of that and then we'll see the glory of the lord and that's kind of that and but you don't really think of the sabbath as the goal of seeing the glory of the lord um uh, which you're only getting a glimpse of prior to that yeah um yeah. i agree amen uh i love the way it's he brings in the whole um uh the call i deny um uh, voice thing. I mean, it's 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 another one. Like when you're actually working through, he connects it there, of course, to Genesis three, um, and we've spoken before about the way that that's often interpreted. You know, walking in the cool of the day. Um, I um, I've actually recently read an, an, another. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now. Was it? Um, oh uh, man, you would know him if I could remember the name. Stuart's. Who's the Old Testament scholar guy? The Old Testament hermeneutic, 
Duncan Stewart, Stewart Robinson. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, he uh, he did a whole take on Klein's thing on his exegesis, and um, so he really liked it. And and basically, oh, it's the guy who wrote the the how to re- read the Bible book by book. It's at the tip of my tongue. Oh, who's that guy? The Old Testament guy. Oh, I'm gonna kick myself when I remember too. Yeah. Anyway, that guy. So I know every <laughs> single. Everyone listening knows who I'm talking about except me. Um, but anyways, that guy basically, um, you know, looking at it, and he was saying, well, if not the spirit of the day, um, certainly the wind would be better than the cool of the day, which still speaks of a associated sort of like, um, you know, Pentecost-like wind-spirit connection where something is going on that has something to do with judgment and the spirit. And um, anyways, bottom line is, you know, we're seeing this like terrifying sound and thunder and right. end of the world and and um, God's approach in an advent of judgment. And, um, you know, one of the places that, that won me over to that idea was this, the way you start seeing this for, reflected throughout these um, these visions that are surely visions um, that, that, that are going to talk about judgment upon Israel. And um, and so, you know, I think that, that that's helpful for anyone looking at that as well. Um, you know, and, and then also just creating the picture for us in in Genesis 3 because it's like you know again okay obviously we're not going to go with God walking in the cool of the day but I mean how are you going to picture God coming at that point and how is he how is he arriving in Advent and probably what's in view is this very thing right this very thing in Ezekiel at some level or another you're seeing like you're seeing I don't know just a glimpse of of another world essentially the same thing that you're going to see at the end of history when Christ comes out of this cloud uh, it's like a I don't want to sound too sci-fi on this but it sounds like the opening up of a dimension you know like mm. a portal almost you know like a like a wait a minute oh, this is too good to resist like a like a glory portal dimension <laughs> well done mike <laughs> thank you you've got more than one hyphen in there yeah um so but you know you've got this 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 thing opening up as it were you know to to what is there but we just can't see it and um and you can imagine i mean that just puts me right back in the garden you know you can imagine this thunder and this end of the world experience and then this like opening up to the it's kind of everything i imagine to happen at the end based on what 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 um revelation talks about um but there again you know you've got the end with revelation you've got the beginning which is very you know scant in its treatment but then you've got images like this in the middle that kind of fill out both and certainly help us to see probably why it was that that um that adam and eve are freaking out and hiding and you know right uh, you know they were terrified so <laughs> calling for the rocks to fall upon them essentially i suppose <laughs> exactly yeah. Um, cool. So, uh, beyond that, I mean, you know, in terms of the actual throne and stuff, um, this is where it gets crazy for me. And like, I wish I could understand everything he's talking about over here, but if you've ever looked at, um, uh, the whole way he connects it to, well, okay. Here again is my, is my best shot at it, but basically he takes the Mount Armageddon thing. And, um, um, I think what he's saying is that at the, you know, as the glory theophany, um, and I'm I'm thinking you know, by the way of page two hundred and seven, around there, in uh, glory in our midst, uh, where he's basically talking about um, Ezekiel seeing that which is very very closely associated to Zaphon, uh, mm-hmm. um, which is also Mount Armageddon, right? That's um, um, right. and also Zion. 
so basically the whole idea there is um, the mountaintop. Well, no, Zion would be the the non-redemptive equivalent. How does it work again? I can't remember now. Zaphon, the designation of the mountain, um, provides a connection between Armageddon, to which it is appositional in Isaiah 14, 13, and Zion, with which it's equated in the opening two verses of Psalm 48. I didn't even know. Are they even the same mountain <laughs> at that point? It sounds like he's saying they're the same mountain. Yeah, that's yeah. how. So you got. So I think Eden was not the same mountain as Zion. That's what I understood. But they are being very closely connected, and then that's also referred to as either Zaphon or Hamagian. Um and, and anyway, bottom line is you've got this mountaintop. You've got this glory that was essentially revealed in Eden uh, prior to the fall as a down payment of what was to come, and on the mountain tops. Right throughout the story of scripture, you're seeing what Ezekiel is seeing, essentially. Is that right? Right. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. So in terms of, I suppose, where people would get stuck on that is, okay, but you know, they weren't seeing thrones and and uh, wheels and all that. They were just seeing smoke and fire and shiny lights and, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and we're just saying, well, you know, that's where the, you know, basically Ezekiel's getting a real close look and he's seeing things pertaining to that particular outworking and manifestation, and he's describing it in ways that are unique to his situation and uh, idiomatic prophetic reference. Exactly. Um, So, I mean, we shouldn't expect a lot of people to have that vision. I mean, we we see it in Isaiah 6, Mm -hmm. but outside the prophets, you're right. I mean, it gets experienced as... um, when it is experienced, you know, the pillar of cloud or the, you know, yeah. pillar of fire right. um, on the Mount of Transfiguration as this bright, blindingly bright cloud. Yeah. Um, things like yeah. And, um, and then even uh, Zechariah, who kind of has a similar, but not exactly the same experience. All the, 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 the chariots are kind of different. And, and, and so, you know, not to get hung up on those details is important in seeing the unity, I think, because they're individual applications of the same basic context. Um, all right. So anyways, hopefully, you know, I, what I think will happen, uh, maybe just one more quick little snippet here. This is from Gloria Namitz. Zion is the earthly ectypal manifestation of the archetypal heavenly reality of God's temple city. So that's a good way to say it, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that because that brings the ectype, archetype stuff as well, which people are more familiar with perhaps, you know, in that we're, um, uh, you know, we talk about this, you know, in theology proper all the time, but you'd never really think about it that way in terms of what what's going on here with God revealing himself in in the in this cloud so uh, uh, he says um, in keeping with the typological or typological idiom of the prophets uh, it is the earthly temple city of God's theophanic presence um, Mount Zion that is represented by the two bronze mountains again then we get into something else uh, indicative of, of this earthly location of the royal presence uh, again that's I think so basically all I wanted to bring out there was just that um, you know, again, that that mountain is getting woven right into the story, and so it's it's almost like whatever you see, the three three threads here that are almost like forming each other in terms of helping us understand how this all works, and 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 why this the only reason this is important is because it helps you to read your Old Testament in a way that you don't go crazy over. Number one, you know, you got the Sabbath. Number two, you got the mountain. Number two, number three, you've got this cloud or this presence. Right. And if right. you can work with those three things. Um, seeing how they're all connected, even if you don't get all the details down, 
it just really, uh, it, it not only helps you track with the Old Testament, it gets you seeing what, what's going on in terms of uh, Jesus' own ministry and and not to mention uh, the book of Revelation. Um, the four direction thing, maybe we should just quickly say something about that. Um, you know, again, like I realized like, as I read Klein, I'm thinking like on those minor details, probably he's just, he's working with a, a particular view that he might have. You know, I don't, I don't see that as the particular, the major genius of, of his contribution. It's not that he's, I'm saying, Hey, everyone needs to go over this stuff and look at every single point that he's sort of having a go at interpreting and uh, he's absolutely right in all of those things. I don't think that is the case. He might well be right and certainly be uh, better equipped to deal with that than most. But um, the, I, I see the genius as more pertaining to, you know, you could you could look at other commentaries, you could look at other scholars, they might have slightly different versions of what, you know, uh, the wheel stands for or the four directions stands for or the faces stand for or how it is that they work and what they're uh, referring to. I don't you know, just that's fine. Just just look at what it take those things on their own merits. But I don't think any of those 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 symbols usually nothing that I can think of even now um, overturns this bigger idea that Klein's putting on the table. Again, these these interwoven ideas. Um, but I mean, yeah, it sounds like a good idea that chariots are typically associated with judgment and wrath. They're going all over the place. They, you know, they're they're basically. Uh, showing God's sovereignty over it all. Um, the mobility of the throne is is um, is emphasized in that it's not in one particular geographical situation, but it's almost leading to a kind of a, uh, uh, anticipating much of what we'll see later with the with the New Testament and um, and the spirit and truth thing. Um, and then yeah, there's many other details that probably wouldn't be a good idea to go in now. Anything else you could think to um, add before we round this up though? No, I just appreciate that you brought those three elements together, the, the Sabbath, the mountain, and uh, the cloud. Yeah. Because they really do, gosh, I mean, um, it's amazing to think about how much of the Old Testament comes together as one piece of cloth when you think about that. Yeah, exactly. And then when you get to like the New Testament and it talks about the Sabbath, let's say, for example, mm -hmm. you know, Hebrews we mentioned earlier, like he, Jesus is the one who leads us to sabbath rest it's like you can have legitimately in your mind it's not just sabbath it's cloud sabbath um you know the whole thing is there um mm -hmm. and, and everything you've picked up in connection to that or even just the the um yeah i suppose well just the whole picture comes right with you so when it's i, I want to say uh synecdoche almost you know it becomes part for the whole in that you know, it just enriches your whole understanding of, of, of heaven. Everything is being shortened at every point. And uh, only when you put it together do, do you really get an uh, understanding of the richness of it. I mean, I just love the way it kind of, even just, you know, the way this is slightly off, well, I suppose it's exactly on the same point, the mountain and everything. You know, if you got the whole idea of God living on the top of a mountain, it's kind of a silly you know, everyone would look at that and say, well, that's kind of an old school way to think about God living in the sky and that sort of thing. But if the imagery is important that to show us how we ascend to get to God who is above mm. us, then all of a sudden, like the whole idea of Christ ascending into heaven with a cloud, just it goes so far away from, from um, you know, the, 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 that superficial kind of, you know, understanding of it. And it makes you realize like the whole thing is there to show us that Christ has 
has gone to the the goal of history, as it were. It's almost like it, it's it's been put there to dramatize it, and even the the cloud idea, you know, it's it's almost like he's he's ascended into the very portal dimension, reality archetype dimension. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And um, and the glory portal archetype. I'd uh, leave that out. But um, and, and then even when he returns, like for, I was just saying to Candice um, the other day, it's just like I mean, it what, what it does for me is. I, you know, I suppose one of the things, whether you like to admit it or not, coming at it from a post-enlightenment rationalist perspective, getting into Christianity, you know, you're like, okay, so I got to believe that Jesus is going to come out of the clouds at some point. I mean, that's quite, quite a, it's a thing, you know, and especially if you know that beyond the clouds is space and beyond space is, you know, a lot of planets and which planet is Jesus living on. And these are, you know, questions that we might not want to answer. But if you're thinking in terms of, of, um, of, of, of almost like a again a glory archetype portal dimension opening up uh, then with 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 not just clouds but a, a, a presence of God to judge it becomes entirely more realistic uh, you know if, for lack of a better um, term there I'm not I'm not wanting to indicate that, that the Bible's not realistic or anything but it just feels more wow okay if God is gonna come and judge it's gonna be cataclysmic we can mm-hmm. almost imagine immediately that if there is a heaven that's concealed from our sight, you know, it's going to unfold in that way. It's going to look exactly like it's described. And and all of us, it's almost like we can all imagine ourselves seeing Jesus descend from the place that he ascended at that point and going, oh, of course, that's what everyone was talking about, you know, rather than some weird little picture of, of a cloud and, you know, a white horse on the cloud. And you know what I mean? Um, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be terrifying and it's going to be, again, the chariot thing is in view, you know, Jesus approaching with the war horse and, um, and it's, um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it just, that's what I love about this stuff. It makes you just, it's not just Ezekiel. <laughs> it's what we're saying. Exactly. It's, it's just blowing the whole thing open. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of the Mount of Transfiguration and the fact that the gospel writers describe it as a bright cloud. I mean, yeah. that's completely outside of my experience. Right. I, I have never seen a cloud that I would describe as bright. So there's exactly. that. Plus, Peter just gets completely disoriented. Totally. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, Classic, yeah. So I, I, I like the way you put it, that we will see Jesus and go, that's what they were talking about. Right. And like, it, it's, it's like they were all grasping at something very real and uh, overwhelming. And, and because of those Sunday school pictures along the way, we've tended to cheapen it and, mm. and turn it into some pretty little picture that can be sort of held. And, 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 and that's like one step further to making Christianity feel like just another religion. And this, this undoes that, you know, it, it just puts it onto, imagine what you would see, well, firstly, you know, when you're on a flight and you see a massive cloud or whatever, it is pretty darn glorious when when the sun's hitting it. And, you know, so a cloud is a great thing to talk about when you're talking about glory, just because it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's totally um, heavenly in that sense. Um, but imagine that. I mean, even last night we had this intense windstorm thing. I mean, anyone who's ever been under any kind of roof when the wind is about to rip it off, um, oh, yeah. I mean, it is a frightening reality, you know, so you can kind of put that wind idea together with this glory idea of the cloud. And yeah, like you said, it's shining. It's not like a normal cloud. It's, it's like this light that you can't even understand. And, um, 
and this, I mean, a thunderclap, if anyone's ever heard one of those close up, I mean, <laughs> that on its own is enough to put you out. And so you've got this thunder coal voice uh, with this wind is always associated and you start getting a sense of how terrifying this thing is mm. and how glorious this is and really how unearthly this this is and and really we're talking about god you know at the end of the day not not some sunday school picture so um you know anyways hopefully that's helpful to someone and um and uh, again just a little bit of a weekly motivator to to get stuck into reading some client uh, on these sorts of things uh, if that helps you, I always, I'm always a little bit torn in that I want to just go like, cause we read Klein and honestly, sometimes you have to get yourself out of it and go, Whoa, this sounds like, like he's just, he's just running with some sci-fi, you know, almost <laughs> it, it feels that, but it's, it's really just the words that he's chosen. And he himself is wrestling with the same concepts that the prophets were, were wrestling with in that he's just trying to bring it in a slightly fresh perspective and, and, and maybe in ways that could, uh, they would be termed today. So, you know, not to get, I, I would just advise that people don't get put off by that sort of thing, but rather just read it through and uh, just give it a chance and and just let it sort of reshape some of your thinking on, on this stuff. Um, and um, and images of the spirit, I think, is probably the way to start there. I don't know. I mean, glory on the. I've tried glory in our midst a few times and I failed. So, if you fail and and you read it and you're hearing this, then uh, join me. But but I I found glory in our midst. I at least um, uh, images of the spirit to be totally intense, but you know, very lucid and 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 trackable in that sense. Um, and perhaps more of a systematic theology level. So you know, for whatever that might be helpful fall um, and i'll just make a yeah I'll go make for a quick plug for the glory cloud podcast here because we have discussed our way through yes. both of those books yeah true and so yeah. yeah um i would encourage your listeners not to be intimidated by either book uh if you do get stuck you can just find um one of those episodes where we talk about that and uh, hopefully that gets you through it yeah so it, glory and was fairly recent for you guys and then uh was images of the spirit like that was way back, right? That was uh, right. one of the first. Yeah, okay, cool. So just to go track back in the archives there for the images one. Um, but yeah, very, very helpful, um, both of those. So yeah, good plug. Um, we always want to be checking Glory Cloud out. Um, been loving the, the the episodes you guys have been doing lately, by the way. I don't know if I've said well, that thank already. You. But yeah, it's been great just getting the client application stuff. Very cool. Um, cessationism. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Um, all right, so we'll leave it there for now. Um, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it you uh working with me on that and uh swimming your way through some uh kleinian uh what is the word kleinian overwhelmingness uh drowningness yeah. uh dude it's it's amazing but uh deep I mean, waters deep waters is, is a good way to put it um just to it's the only way to do it though you just got to jump in and i was listening to elite say uh you know with greek you know, you just got to get out of first year. You just got to start reading yep. it. It's a very similar thing with Klein, isn't it? Yes. It's actually a very it's similar very... thing with anything beyond your comfort zone <laughs> is what I'm starting to realize. You just got to jump in there and go for it. And um, it's no different with Klein. Anyway, cool. Let me leave it at that. Thanks a million, Chris. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.